At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful day and every other wonderful day, Lord. Thank you for fellowship and thank you that we tend to learn more about you during fellowship. I pray that you impart something to each of us and that you would lead me and that I wouldn't lead myself. May you have all the praise, the honor and the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I thought it kind of strange that I was preaching on Father's Day because <laughs> I'm not a father. And I was looking at the roster and I was kind of like, what? Is that a mistake? No. Rodney doesn't make mistakes. He's quite intentional. And, uh, and I was thinking about it for a little bit and, you know, God showed me some things. I thought, yeah, okay, fair enough. It's interesting to hear a different perspective. But um, so hopefully I do all right. It's, it's quite interesting in that I, I don't actually have kids of my own, but in... You know, over the years, my father and I had to sort of cover a lot of ground and rebuild some things. And a lot of that was I had to understand things from his perspective. And gosh, it it blew my mind. And then I get to see it from the other side of the spectrum where I'm taking care of kids at youth group and God's sort of had to take me to some places to understand the, the sort of heart that I have to impart to them. Um, yeah, so let's go back to this verse for a second. Uh, we'll just look at 25 and 26 for now. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. There's a couple of reasons why God tends to reveal things to kids or younger people or people that haven't learned as much, you know, as opposed to really wise people that everyone looks up to. Uh, the first obvious reason being that it tends to bring more glory to God, you know, because if a wise person says something really profound, you're like, he's really smart, you know we tend to trust in the wisdom of that person. But if a person who wouldn't normally say things like that says something that only God could have given, we go, wow, God is awesome, don't we? So that's one reason. But I want to focus on the other reason more so. And that is... I forgot my train of thought. I'm doing well. 
I'm going to read Matthew 18 for a second, three to four. And so this is Jesus talking. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Paul sort of echoes the same thing from a bit of a different tact in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll probably just read 26 to 27. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. What do older people have that younger people don't? Wisdom, experience. Both of those things, really. But And age, yes but I'm after experience right now. Now, experience can be a wonderful thing or it can be one of the most destructive things in your life. It's actually amoral. It's not immoral, it's not moral, it's amoral. So I guess a simple picture would be, it's kind of like fire. You can use fire to cook your food or warm you or play a prank on one of your friends. That's good, I think. But it can also be used to destroy stuff. That's not good. It depends on how fire is used that makes it good or bad. Experience is the same thing. So, picking up on what Jesus said and and what Paul said, I have a question. Why is it easier to teach kids rather than adults. Kids don't have experience to get in the way. They might have a little bit, but they don't have much. And if you tell them something, they believe it, and they go, okay, yeah, I'll take that on board, which can be good. Sometimes it can not be good, depending on whoever's imparting into them. But it's harder to teach people like us, adults, because you, you tell them something and then they say, well, my experience disagrees with that. That's not actually true. Your interpretation of your experience disagrees with that. Maybe your interpretation is not actually as correct as you may have thought. When we trust in ourselves or we lead ourselves, when we don't allow God to lead us, we tend to see our experiences through our own subjectivity, our own opinion. And it can distort the picture. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The simple fact of the matter is we can't trust ourselves. We often think we know what's right. And in ways we sort of do. But quite often we end up ruining ourselves or or causing um, damage to ourselves. So personal interpretation, you know, what you take away from a situation. There's always going to be an element of truth in it because 
you know, you're seeing it firsthand. So there will always be a little bit of truth in it, at least, at least a bit of truth, which makes part of it true, obviously. But when we look at Genesis 3 and the fall of mankind, what do we learn about a half-truth? It's still a lie. And a half-truth, more so than a complete lie, is generally what lands us in hot water the most, yeah? Half-truths are so poisonous and destructive. And it's quite often what we take away from something that happens to us or happens to someone else or, or something we just see. Half-truths cripple us. It cripples our walk. And so we tend to lose perspective, not just of what's going on, but we tend to lose perspective of ourselves and who God's called us to be when we're used to taking in half-truths all the time. If we're really that opinionated, then we're going to lose perspective. We lose personal growth or we falter in it and you, you learn some little things here and there you, you, you get little snippets but you don't take anywhere near as much in as what you could have when you lose personal growth you start to lose joy you start to lose your heart for service And you'll either burn out or you start to feel like you're just existing. And if you really want to take it to an extreme, you'll just sort of be waiting to die. And sometimes you'll even pray for God to kill you. you know. But that's really taking it far. So experience is either our ally or our enemy. It really depends on our character and our perspective. I met a guy who was... Uh, he was a Christian. <laughs> More or less. Very dogmatic with his views, doesn't accept anything. And uh he's talking about his experience in a church one day and he said something happened and then he goes, and what this says to me was this. And he basically just threw demons and everything on the whole situation. And, and blamed the, the, the priest and said that, you know, he was being led by an evil spirit and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm listening to him. And he's saying all sorts of things like this. I was listening to him for about half an hour. I didn't say a single thing. I was just listening. And I said, well, it kind of sounds to me like you've taken what you've decided away from the situation rather than looking at it properly. And you've been throwing scriptures at me, but you've been using them out of context what you've actually done is you've placed your own opinion as of a higher authority than God's word. That's what he's done. I told him that. and No, he didn't like it. But he actually didn't say anything. <laughs> yes. No, I'm not about arguments. I hate them. But we, we can often do that, can't we? We rely on our experience more than we rely on God's word. We can often do that. I'm, I've done it before. I'm guilty of it. And what we do then is we pick and choose scriptures 
and we try to align them with our experience to justify ourselves rather than taking ourselves out of our own little silly perspective box for a second and trying to align our experience with God's word and saying, okay, what really happened? A lot of people do it. You know, I think everyone does it to some degree at some point or other. Good practice to break. So let's read the, the rest of Matthew 11. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to be talking today. I'm about to preach now. I want to be talking about what does God's heart for us look like? What does a father's heart look like? I mean, it's Father's Day. I didn't really want to turn this into a message where I just say Father a bunch of times and say Jesus a bunch of times and throw in a few scriptures and, yep, all sweet, I've got a message. But, you know, that doesn't fly. But um, I do want to talk about God's heart for us, what it looks like, maybe a bit of what it doesn't look like. And when you read those few verses there, we realize that Jesus' character is the image of who a father desires their child to be. Is he not? So he's obviously our model. I'm going to draw a picture. Because I love pictures. I hope you can read that. Um, yeah. <laughs> we've got the Father, we've got the Holy Spirit, and we've got the Son... Jesus. Okay. So we've got the Trinity there. In verse 27, yeah, verse 27, and also in John 14, and it's not really just John 14, 6, it's actually the whole passage. Jesus is describing that he points the way to the Father so that we can understand the Father's heart and the Father's will for our lives. So his will for us, according to this, is to be like Jesus. First and foremost, to be like Jesus, to have Jesus living inside us, you know, saved, and to be like Jesus, to conform to his character. All right? Now, in John ooh, 15 and 16, at the Last Supper, Jesus talks about you know, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to help you and he's going to guide you into all truth. The interesting thing is, uh, just before that, he says, the Father is going to send out the Holy Spirit in my name, which means the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit out upon the earth using the authority of Jesus. Now, a bit of logical common sense here is that you don't use someone else's authority unless their authority is either greater than yours or equal to yours, you know, which... Logically speaking, Jesus has the same authority as the Father, you know. Sorry, I get into a lot of arguments with, not arguments, conversations with people that just want to say Jesus is a lesser spirit and he's not God. So, ha, take that. Okay. So the Father sends out the Holy Spirit. That's John 15 and 
16, to help us, to guide us into all truth. Truth being Jesus, according to the previous chapter, John 14, verse 6. Okay? And also in chapter 15, it says, to, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to help you to remind you of everything that I've said to you. So, and if you want to look at what God tends to do today and when people are led by Holy Spirit, you know, out on the streets and you see all these miracles and stuff, you know, you, you walk up to someone and you say, um, I believe God wants to heal you of, you know, whatever's going on. It's not just for the sake of the healing, is it? It's to point the way to Jesus. It's to drill into them the idea, hey, you know what? Jesus actually cares about you. Have you ever considered that? Jesus really loves you. Doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus loves you. That's what the Holy Spirit leads us into. He always tends to point the way to Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He points the way to the Father. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he, you know, all the way down that passage in chapter 15, he talks about the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. You know? When he leads us to the Father, it causes us to understand, you know, who God really is. And what he desires for us. Now, what parent, doesn't matter if you're a mother or a father, doesn't want the best for their child? You know, every parent wants to lift their kid up on their shoulders and say, Oi, this is mine. Don't touch. My kid's better than yours. <laughs> okay? Every parent wants to do that. Look at all the amazing things my child has done. That's right. Bow down. No. You know, but you get the idea. Parents are so proud of their kids. It doesn't matter if their kids are hopeless or not. Their parents are so proud of them. Oh, gosh. I'm glad my parents were proud of me. Okay. The more we understand about Jesus, the more we can become like him. And the more we understand the Father's heart, more we understand how he wants us to be like Jesus. Now, suffering. Is it, is, is it God's will for us to go through suffering? That's always a tough question. You know, and I hear it all the time. If God was such a good God, why would he allow suffering in the world? It's like, oh, there's probably a thousand and one ways to answer that, really. And some of them might satisfy you. Some of them might not. But Jesus, who was equal to the father and his son, I mean, the son in that relationship, he suffered more than just about anybody else. God didn't spare him. And all the way through the New Testament, in fact, all the way through the Bible, it never promises that we're going to be free from suffering. It actually assures it. And Jesus reminds us time and time again, and so does the Apostle Paul and all of the other guys who've written in that thing. They say, you're going to go through suffering. I mean, when we die and we spend eternity with God, yes, there's no more suffering. I believe that's God's will. 
But at the moment, it's his will for us to overcome in spite of suffering. But that comes more so from understanding who we are rather than just going to do something. If we don't understand who we are, we're not going to understand how to outwork God's will properly for our lives. When I was in you know, Newcastle and I wanted to do my own thing and you know, I wanted to join the army and I said to God for six months, I didn't even ask God's opinion, I just said, I want to join the army, but I'm not going without your permission. Can you please give me permission? I didn't ask him what he thought. I just wanted his permission for six months. I was so desperate for it. It's all I ever wanted to do. And after six months, God just said, no. And I still didn't ask his opinion. I just got really angry. And I was like, well, I won't join the army then. I just want you to know I'm not very happy with you. And I stayed angry with God for three years on that topic. You know, I, I still did a lot of things that God wanted me to do, but I felt forced to do it. Like I didn't have a choice. Well, I'm going to do this, Father, because you told me to, you know, whether I enjoy it or not. Gosh, I thought I was such a good kid because I was doing things that I didn't want to do or things that wore me out. Now, if you're a parent and you tell your child to do something, do you want to hear, Come on! It's someone else to do it. Fine, I'll do it. Gosh, get off my back. <laughs> like, do you want to hear that? <laughs> my kids do that to me, I'll smack them. <laughs> That's on tape, and I ain't ashamed. <laughs> Romans 1.15 right there. That's the attitude I talk about. I felt forced to do it because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. The thing is, I was always asking God what to do and I didn't ask who am I. I didn't ask who have you designed me to be. I didn't ask what does identity in Christ look like. And you know, if I actually did that, I would have been happy with what I was doing. So it took me three years. After three years, I came to God and I said, look, I'm really sick of being angry with you. I don't want to do this anymore. God was like, oh, yes, oh, cool, yeah, all right. I mean, he didn't use those words, but that was sort of the point he made. And uh, I said, okay, how do, how do I stop being angry with you? And God said, I want you to understand exactly what it means for me to have a will for you. What, what does a father's will look like? And, you know, I probably could have asked God that question. Okay, what does your will for me look like? But I didn't want to. I wanted to hear it firsthand. So I went to go and see my dad. And I'm like, what's your will for my life? And he said, I want the best for you. No matter what it costs me. That's what I want. And, you know, and he said more than that. But I'm not going to keep going because I'll cry. No, I'll weep. Men don't cry. We weep. Amen, brother. Jesus wept. Shortest message in the Bible. We only weep a little bit. <laughs> and 
when my father said that, it, it absolutely smashed me. And, uh, and, and I was going through this journey with God for about three weeks. Out of all the books in the Bible, I was, uh, he asked me to read the book of Lamentations. If you've never read the book of Lamentations, it's like the saddest book in the whole Bible. And, uh, and something hit me one day, and I just realized how, how unique God made me. And, and, and how personal I was as his creation. And that I was designed for a purpose. And if I'm designed for a purpose and I'm going to do that purpose, then that's actually who I am inside. That's who I want to be. See, I never pressed into Jesus. I just wanted to do things for God. When I started to press into Jesus... What I wanted to do was like something else. It, it was still, I wanted to do stuff for God, but now I, I just loved doing what I was doing. I was finally happy with where I was. I was finally at peace with it. I, I actually had joy again. Quite an amazing thing. So yeah, I, I, I felt forced to do things like, you know, I'm not going to try and end my life because I'm shortchanging God, but so I felt like I was backstabbed into living and that I didn't have a choice about what I was going to do and that I'm just going to serve the church or something like that. But then, you know, when God hit me with that, it just became so much more. And then I thought, man, why would I ever want to do anything else? And uh, Rodney actually said something on Thursday. He said, we're not called to serve a church. That That's not... <laughs> That's part of what our calling looks like, but, it, but it's actually not what we're called to do. We're called to build a kingdom. And if we really understand who we are, then that's the mindset we're going to take. We're going to be kingdom builders, not necessarily church servers. It's good to serve in church, but we need to understand it in the context of building a kingdom because a church is not four walls and a roof. It's people, is it not? And it's supposed to keep expanding. If there's a king and he's in charge of a kingdom, but he's got no people, it's not much of a kingdom, is it? His parties are going to be pretty lonely. I mean, a, a small indication. You know, if we're really pressing into Jesus, if we're understanding the Father's heart for our lives then one of the fruits of that that we'll notice is that people around us will start to be blessed or, or changed in little, little bits by us because God will continuously be pouring into us and we can't contain it all, which means we're going to be continuously overflowing and the people around us are going to feel it. So if after a long time you're not noticing anything in the people around you, any change at all, or, or they're not even encouraged by being around you. And this is just an indicator. It's not completely concrete, okay? So don't go away and think that you're doing everything wrong in the entire world just yet. Then it, it might be an indication that, hey, maybe maybe I've stalled somewhere. Maybe, maybe I've taken away a half-truth. Maybe I've taken away a lot of half-half. Shabbat <laughs> Maybe I've taken away a lot of half-truths. 
One more verse in finishing off. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As human beings, whether you're a Christian or not, you will naturally reveal who you are. We can't hide that. Even if you try and hide it, you're not going to be able to fool people for very long, are you? You're going to naturally be who you are sooner or later. You know, Jesus said, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth, whether it's good, whether it's evil. It's an inevitability, okay? Now, if we're continuously pressing into Christ, then that is naturally going to come out of us. What does pressing into Christ look like? How, how do, how, what does overflowing look like when it comes to that? It shows com- compassion. Um, in fact, we've been learning about it for the last couple of weeks. The clearest mark of God's grace in your life is a generous spirit towards others. That's unavoidable for a person if they are learning about who they are in God. It's absolutely unavoidable. It's going to come. That's love. Generosity comes from a heart of love. Before I pressed into Jesus, I always, I, I mean, I always wanted to preach the gospel, but I was always too afraid to do it. I didn't know what to do, you know, and all this fear would come through my mind and all these sorts of things would get in the way. When I started to press into Jesus, I found that it actually just came natural. But that's for every single person. You will actually feel comfortable expressing Christ the way you personally express him if he's making gains in your life. And, and there's always things that you know, will frighten you, or what if I do this, or how should I really say that, or come on, this is a big faith step, God. I mean, that, that's all part of the fun, okay? But when you're just having conversations with people, you will naturally express Christ however you do, and it's different for every single person. And that's why I can't really say to you, this is what you should do, that is what you should do. You actually have to sort of discover it for yourself the more you press into Jesus. I mean, love is a universal language, and that's what we should all strive for, but that will naturally come out of us, you know, sort of flavoured with your personality, because God never discounts personality. He always uses it. He used it in every single book of the Bible. It was still God-breathed, but he did not discount the author's personality. And he doesn't discount your personality. And how's he going to shine love through you? That's really part of the fun and you finding out that journey between you and God. The more you find out about yourself, the more you find out about what you can do. That's a wonderful feeling. So, we must allow Holy Spirit to guide us in revealing Jesus to us continuously, day by day. We must allow Jesus to reveal the Father's heart and we must allow Jesus to change us into his own image. And when you've really sort of captured that journey, 
that's when you think, why would I ever want to do anything else? There really is no other way. It's not something that you can even take on a half-hearted level. You get to a certain point and then you just think, you know what, I've got to run with it. Jesus is far too valuable to me 